0: Well, we're going to turn briefly to Hebrews 3 and just survey this chapter very briefly, very quickly and see some of the glorious lessons to be drawn from it. The writer starts, Holy brethren, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly call, partners of heaven. Is that us? Yes, it is. It's us. He's calling us. What a shock, what a surprise to see ourselves dressed in these terms. Holy ones, partners of heaven, partners of the heavenly call. Well, who has made us like this? Who has changed us? Who has cleansed us? Who has lifted up our eyes and hearts like this? The answer is very clear in the same verse. The apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, our great high priest, our representative, our mediator, this unique and glorious jewel in Christianity, the Lord Jesus Christ the priest that great word of God the apostle the one sent by the father the one who was sent out as a message our saviour and we see and we did see in the past something of his glory in the earlier chapter for example in verse um, 14 of the previous chapter for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood he also took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death that is the devil. And again in verse 18, for in that he himself hath suffered tempt- being tempted, he is able to succour them that are tempted. He knows. He knows what our position's like. He knows our griefs. He knows our sorrows. He feels for us very deeply. And yet, like a wise master physician, he knows just how to guide us through and to keep us from sin. Well, the more we reflect on him, The more we contemplate him, the more we will live like him. The more we will share his image in our own lives. How much place does Christ have in our conversation? At home? Amongst our work colleagues? In our own thoughts? In our own plans? How much of a place does Christ have? The less a place, the less we'll be like him. The more a place, the more we'll be like him. The more we converse in him... We shouldn't feel it's an unnatural thing to speak about our treasure. We shouldn't think it, it's a strange thing to be embarrassed. We should think it is a very strange thing to be embarrassed about the great pearl, the pearl for which we've exchanged all. He should often be in our hearts. And our friends, even in the church, we should never be ashamed to speak of him. This is a great strengthener for our faith. But the writer also weeds out the garden as well as planting strength. He weeds out doubt and suspicion and reserve, as we shall see. Some people say, well, faith is always a good thing. It's always a good thing to have faith. It's always very good to have some trust. But I disagree, and so does the Scripture, very strongly. Faith can be a very dangerous, foolish thing. Faith can be a very dangerous thing. It can be very naive uh, if a wife trusts a husband when he's being rude and harsh and unreasonable to her. It can be very careless for an employee to trust their boss if he's exploiting them. It can be very gullible for a customer who has already been warned to trust that shop again and again when they rip them off. No, friends. The wisdom of faith depends on its object. Who is it you're trusting? Who is it you're leaning upon? Who is it you look to? If you're building a building a house on sinking sand then friends it's bound to crumble, bound to fail but um, a wise and certain and infallible foundation is found only in the Lord Jesus Christ He's, he's the only foundation we can really build upon we may be wretched and poor and foolish but he is not we might be a bit sheepish and careless and rather naive But he is not, he sees, he knows, he guides. The more we trust him, the safer we are, the closer we are. The stronger our faith in him is, the stronger we will be, for he is strong. Well, and he shows us how reliable, how faithful he is with a lovely example. And what is that example? Here it is in verse 2. Moses. Moses, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. He was a man who was diligent and strict and conscientious. He sometimes trod on other people's toes. I wonder if you've noticed the security companies, the construction companies, the companies that are concerned with a reputation for resilience and reliability always choose the names of these great men, and sometimes women, who faced great hardships. Cromwell. Churchill, Knox, these sort of security companies like to give a, a reputation for being resilient in adversity so they choose these, these great names they are not always live up to the mark of course well friends, we often take faithfulness for granted until it's too late we often take it as read until we realise it's not been kept up to by a teacher by a doctor perhaps doctors change, tend to change all the time these days but in the old days you know a doctor would stick with you for life or of course a parent or a partner we trust that they'll be faithful and we're surprised and shocked when they're not Here is one who is here's something that's very precious and very important the faithfulness of Christ as exemplified by the faithfulness of Moses and look at verse 5. Moses verily was faithful in all his house, even in the details, even in the small matters. Even when there was great heartache and tribulation in the camp, he was still careful to stick to God's will and God's requirement. Uh, So Moses might have, uh, Aaron might have slipped, Miriam might have fell. Nadab and Abihu were consumed by fire because of their treachery. The elders and nobles of the camp let him down badly. But Moses was still the linchpin. God still kept the whole of Israel through Moses. He kept them on the straight and narrow again and again. And of course, here is one much more glorious than Moses. Verse 3. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who has built the house has more honour than the house itself. Moses was just part of the fabric. Moses was just a pillar. He was a support, replaced shortly afterwards by Joshua. But here is the architect. Here is the planner. Here is the great engineer of all things and especially of his people. Here is the great craftsman in action himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. We must trust him. We must look to him, we must see his mind, follow his purpose closely. He is unshakable, he is unmovable, unlike all the other parts. And verse 4, for every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. Here is more than a passing reference to the deity of Christ. Who is it who is the constructor and the builder, not only of the church by redemption, but of all things by creation? word of God who is God the builder of all things well we look to him and Christ is the source of the church All was made for him and by him Moses was faithful he was a workman he was as it's described here a servant which is a rather gentle word actually not the usual slave word a gentle word which means a helper but he was part of the house itself he was part of the home itself Christ himself is the great completer. He is the great conceiver. He is the great constructor of all God's mind. He is the very source. Moses was a foretaste. He was a glimpse. He was just a little flash, a foretaste of the Lord Jesus Christ. But verse 6. Christ is the son. Christ is the son over his own house. He's the heir. It all belongs to him. It's all his. And we are his home. Our hearts are his dwelling place. Our homes are his home. Or at least that's how it should be. So there is a cord that ties the Saviour to his temple. There is a cord that ties the body to the head. What is this cord? Here it is. As a son over his own house, whose house are we if? We hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Here is the place of our faith. Well, how can we know whether we have faith? He speaks about the confidence, and the word here is the boldness, the the outward boldness. Do we speak of him? Do we talk of him? we love to engage with others about him? You know what the Apostle said? We cannot but speak about him. It would be a crime to keep silent. (laughs) We can't keep quiet about this treasure. We have to speak about about it to others. Are we a little shy of speaking about the Saviour? It's placed a little small. Our friends nurture it and encourage it and grow it. If we love him, we will hold fast the confidence, the boldness, the openness... And the rejoicing, the word there means boasting. What do you boast about? Oh, I'm so pleased about what I did today. I'm so pleased about who I am. Oh, no, friends, there's not much to be boasting about there, really. Our boast is in Christ, in the Saviour. Our real treasure lies not in ourselves, but in him. We are somewhat earthen vessels, are we not? But if we have a heavenly treasure within us, something very sacred and very precious... And then he says this, to the end, firm to the end. There is a cord that binds us to him. And believers will endure. We were considering this in the morning ministry, the pastor. We will persevere. We're truly his. We will persevere. He will keep us. He will guard us. He will give us the resilience. And we are kept and guarded by him. Real believers will weather the storms. Doesn't mean we won't face a battering. Doesn't mean we won't face temptation as we sang. Doesn't mean we won't face disappointments or falls or heartaches and certainly sin and definitely temptation. But we won't fall away. Nor will we wither like a flower in the heat. We'll stand with him. How will we hold fast? How will we hang on? Shall we do it with sheer willpower? Shall we do it with sheer self-confidence? Should we just do it with sheer stoic tenacity? No, friends. Here is the answer, verse seven. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost said, today, if you will hear His voice, He is one of the key nurturers of our faith. He is one of the key foods for our spirit. God's words, spoken by His Spirit, it bespeaks a great respect for the speaker to call God's word the speech of God's Holy Spirit not man not just the opinions of men not just persuasion not just human reasoning no friends all of the scripture is God breathed it's God's words it's God knocking on our door it's God calling us and inviting us it's the Saviour's voice it's the Saviour inviting us wherefore as the Holy Ghost saith today today if you'll hear his voice, God's own speech needs to be taken seriously. Harden not your hearts. Don't despise it. Don't neglect it. Don't forget it. These are his commands. These are his calls. Don't miss off the meetings. Don't miss out from the assembly together. Pray often. Pray. Don't just pray in need. Don't just pray for emergencies. Pray often be in his presence often and cut off temptation don't indulge the flesh and court sins follow him closely verse 8 again harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness well we're going to hear more about this in the coming weeks a lot more a lot more detail and I'm just going to skim over the surface and perhaps whet your appetite a little bit for the future but God was uh, uh, very sorely tested on this day the first time that the word tempting is mentioned is in Exodus chapter 17 and uh, in chapter 17 and verse 4 uh, I'll read the verse for you which you can turn if you wish and uh, Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water. They were thirsty, very thirsty, that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why do you chide with me? Why are you being so angry and irritable with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? The first time the tempting of the Lord is mentioned. They were so angry with God, they nearly stoned Moses. Can you imagine that? The very Saviour who'd left them, delivered them out of Egypt, who'd guided them through the sea, God's spokesman and they want to stone him. Well, how strange. And uh, how could they? How could they be so ruthless? How could they be so harsh? How could they be so ungrateful? They sorely tempted God. But that's where sin had led them to. That's where their hardness and ingratitude had led them to. And our oh, friends, let us be careful lest we enter into the same hardness of heart. Almost within the first year of the wilderness experiences, in Numbers 14, 22, we read... They tested the Lord ten times. Ten times. They'd sorely provoked the Lord. And yet the worst was yet to come. 39 years. Do you remember when spies remonstrated with the people? They said, the land is good. We're well able to overcome the people. The Lord has given them to us like bread. They threatened to stone them also. Joshua and Caleb, who stayed up before the crowd, were yet to be stoned yet we're so stubborn are we the same friends sometimes are we foolish, are we careless are we willfully selfish will we not let go of some cherished sin or some cherished relationship or some cherished friend who's leading us astray, leading us into a bad way will we not do what the Lord calls us to do, to follow him wholly, to witness to attend to that duty to seek the refreshment of his word daily you know, the Lord's reaction in verse 10 was he was deeply grieved. Sad, a God of such love, so deeply grieved, so deeply insulted. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So wayward, so careless, so disobedient. Is the same true of us? We need to keep our hearts humble and close to the Saviour. Verse 11. And there were consequences. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. It, uh, it seemed severe, but not any of the fighting men, but the spies entered the promised land. Not any of them. Almost immediately they heard this. There was a deep regret there was a deep sorrow and they tried immediately to go up into Kadesh, into the promised land but the Lord had had none of it he said no if you're sinful and disobedient there's a long 39 year detour and it started in sin did all of the wilderness generation then die in unbelief that would be a very grim sight if it was the case well I think many of them repented as they wearied their way through the wilderness, as they wandered on and bore the disgrace of their disobedience, I think many of them turned back. Many of them saw how foolish they'd been. One little insight into this, for example, is in Numbers 27, where the five daughters of a man called Zelophehad go to Moses and they say, our father died in the wilderness, along with the others, in his own sin. But we have a request we want his name to live we want his name to live and since he had no son would you enable us to to take one of the, to take on the inheritance of our father Moses took the case to God and God approved it it's a little glimpse into the fact that Zelophehad lived he may have died in the wilderness but I think he obtained grace and repentance so Um, it's a warning to us verse 12 take heed brethren lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God it's a warning have we missed out have we lost blessings they did what a tragedy friends 39 years of wandering and yet so many years wasted so much time slipped through their fingertips so many opportunities fumbled such great happiness forfeited such a life of hardship and disappointment be careful, be diligent stick close to the Lord, guard your heart and keep it from hardness verse 13 and what's the help Let's exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin we need to challenge one another we need not to be ashamed about stirring each other to love it's a sign of brotherly love if we only speak sweet words and honeyed invitations to each other where's the love real love warns real love calls if you see my ties badly tied I hope you'll come up and fix it or at least tell me so if you see egg on my face only somebody who doesn't like me would say Oh, don't worry about that <laughs> I'd hope you'd help me to, at least to wipe it off or make, make sure I wiped it off myself And if you see my car in the car park has a flat tyre, if you don't tell me, well, friends, where's your love? Where's your kindness? Love is often best demonstrated in correction. It's not easy. It needs wisdom. It needs skill. But we should not be ashamed to exhort one another. And not just once in a while, not just occasionally, but daily, often. This isn't a one-way street, of course. One day... Paul needs humbling and help from Barnabas. The next day, Barnabas needs help and correction from Paul. He may not have liked it very much and he may have walked away from him, but he needed it. And I'm sure Paul gave it to him in the kindest way that he could. Today, I may need your challenge. Tomorrow, you might need mine. It's not a one-way street. It goes both ways. And different areas of life sometimes need challenge. We have different weak spots. Some of us are very strong in certain areas and very weak in others. We all have our blind spots. And who can see them all but one another? So we need to challenge each other. Exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The word here is sclerosis. Have you ever heard of sclerosis? It's the horrible thing that happens in your blood vessels as you have a heart attack I hope none of you have a heart attack. What happens is the lining of the artery, the lining of the blood vessel gets thicker and thicker and the the opening through which the blood flows gets narrower and narrower and then it stops. And then there's no blood and the heart muscle dies. That is uh, a, a myocardial infarction or a heart attack as we often call it. Don't let the, the arteries of your soul get clogged up with sin. Clogged up with carelessness. Clogged up keep them free with the gratitude to God, with the daily reckoning of your sins, with the humbling and praying often one for another. Verse 14 For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. The word here for beginning can also be the source and perhaps that's what the writer meant. We are made partakers of Christ if we hold the source of our confidence, the author of our confidence, the very one who brings our confidence into being, steadfast unto the end. Luther's wife, Katie, said something very interesting. She said, my soul clings to Christ as a burr clings to cloth. Do you know those burrs, those very sticky, prickly little seeds that the trees shed in the autumn? When it gets on your coat, especially if it's a woolly coat, you can shake and shake and shake and shake and it still clings on. You have to actually sort of rip it off before you can get rid of the burr. Well, that's what she said I want to be like. I want to hang on to Christ like a burr. Is that you? Is that me? That's what we should be like. Hang on to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hang on to his promises. Meditate on him. Reflect on his work. Trust him, go to him with your concerns, with your worries, with your anxieties. Lay them out before him like that letter that Hezekiah brought. Be like Katie Luther. Cling to him like a burr. And verse 15. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation. Don't allow evil habits to creep in, missing out on the word, despising the preaching, Dismissing the application and its challenge to us, reflect on it, pray on it. Even if it comes through a poorly preached sermon, think about it. What does this mean for me? What challenges God brought to me today through this? In verse 16 and 17, we see again the horror of what really happened as they went into the wilderness. A huge army, 600,000 men, left Egypt, saw the glorious things we're about to hear about in the coming weeks and we have heard something of already this was a generation in a crucible this is a test case this was a generation specially tested and tried and God put them under the microscope they knew thirst and hunger, and boredom and frustration and much much blessing many many wonderful blessings the lessons that we're about to hear about the lessons that we have heard about just for them no friends they're for us the the, the lessons are for us in Exodus and for Numbers we need these lessons we need them for our future or else we'll repeat exactly the same mistakes. we'll go into the same traps we'll follow the same rabbit holes we need these lessons otherwise we'll repeat them of that great army how many made it through to the promised land just two just two Two out of 600,000. Now as I say, many of those who died in the wilderness no doubt came to faith or had faith and were backslidden. But only Joshua and Caleb made it through. Not even Moses, not even the faithful one, was allowed into the promised land. What a challenge to us. Why do you say that's just the Old Testament? That's just the Old Testament. Look at verse 18. To whom he swear that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not so we see they could not enter in because of unbelief but let me challenge you a little bit friends think about those seven churches in Asia to whom the Lord Jesus spoke through the Apostle John seven churches, he commends some of them without any reservation, others he speaks to very severely how many of them stood within a few hundred years every single one of them had failed every single one every one of them and again if the churches in Israel in the time of our Lord that heard his preaching and heard the apostles preaching how many of them stood the time of trial no doubt there were believers who left the area went to other regions and escaped but uh, as Islam swept through these districts none of those churches stood in those times of trial as far as we know where is our strength in the Lord Jesus Christ in his grace you know unbelief is a great poisoner It's a great strangler. It's a great hindrance. We may regard it as a relatively casual matter, a relatively small matter, but unbelief, though it may seem casual and complacent and careless, is treason. It's high treason. It's a very solemn thing. It's a disregard for God. It's a lazy neglect of his ministry. Dear friends, trust him. Embrace him. Follow him. Our Saviour. Obey him to the uttermost until we see his face by his free grace by his endowed power be where he is spiritually especially amongst his people